Hi, I'm Salim Ali, Director of the Minerals, Materials and Society Program at the University of Delaware. And I am Thomas Hale, a graduate student exploring the mineral security nexus at the University of Delaware's Minerals, Materials and Society Program and George Washington University. We are your hosts for the Mineral Choices Podcast, A Rock and a Hard Place, in which we explore why minerals matter, the role they play in our everyday lives, and why they are crucial to our future. In this first series, we take turns talking to the experts from a variety of backgrounds to explain their interests and involvement in this diverse and critical industry. We love hearing from you, so do get in touch via the Mineral Choices website. Enjoy the show. This week, we are joined by Dr. John Keller. John is a professor at the South Dakota School of Mines and Technology. Throughout his impressive 30-year career in education, John has had a remarkable impact on undergraduate studies of the minerals industry, creating programs that integrate mineral processing, pyrometallurgy, and physical metallurgy. Welcome to the podcast, John. Thank you. Thank you, Thomas. So let's maybe begin by explaining to our audience what pyrometallurgy and physical metallurgy are. Right. You know, and, and it really, that's a, a long, long craft that's gone on for hundreds and hundreds of years, perhaps thousands of years. But it it's basically the technology that allows you to take minerals and turn them into metals through chemical processing. And we, we do that through one of two ways. One is called hydrometallurgy. And as the name implies, we use water to leach and refine from mineral to metal. And then pyrometallurgy that you, you mentioned uses high temperature. Sometimes historically it's been called smelting. Uh, but those are really the processing that we go to take a, a mineral to a, a metal. Great. So what field do you specialize in specifically? And kind of, can you describe to our audience what path led you into the work that you do today? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm kind of before that hydrometallurgy and pyrometallurgy because oftentimes there's an ore body that has a very low-grade uh, mineral content and my my field is mineral processing where we will take that low grade ore body crush it grind it and then concentrate the desired mineral so that that hydrometallurgy and pyrometallurgy processing is more efficient now we we do that mineral processing through a variety of means you know it goes all the way back to the old miners panning that's just a gravity based technique that we we do on a larger scale uh, so it involves typically it, it involves crushing grinding and then concentrating uh, by gravity means magnetic whatever processing technique is required to concentrate the desired mineral I think that's what's so fascinating, too, is that, you know, a lot of the people that are learning about mining or interested in looking into mining normally have the idea of someone doing gold panning, right, or a miner with a pickaxe. But I think technology has advanced over time. So can you talk a little bit about how technology has advanced since your 30-year career and kind of where you see metallurgy going? Right. Yeah, I, I mean, there there is some, I think, some disconnects between what the public perceives versus uh, the the reality of the situation. And there's been a lot of uh, advances over the years. One, it, you, you know, their ore bodies t- typically get lower and lower and lower grades simply because 
we have mined and processed the more valuable ore bodies. So that, that trend has continued and continues today. And so what that means, that means there's a, it means a lot of things, actually. One, that there's a, a greater need for exploration. Exploration geologists need to go out and find uh, new ore bodies. It also means that we now are going back and reprocessing old material that we call tailings. The, the, the particles that were left behind 100 or 200 years ago, we're now going back and reprocessing and reclaiming the minerals that either weren't wanted 100 or 200 years ago or were, were left behind because the process wasn't very efficient. And the third thing it means is that recycling of post-consumer products is growing and will continue to grow into the future. And there's really two huge success stories with recycling. That's aluminum and steel. The, the largest steel producer in the United States uses 100% scrap material for their product. So just though there, there's been an evolution uh, over the last, like you say, 30 years towards those three areas, explore, exploration, reprocessing of tailings, and then the uh, recovery from recycling processes. Just on that topic of recycling, and maybe just a quick question here, you know, we hear a lot about recycling in the, in the future demand of all these mineral materials, but we also hear a lot about alternatives. How, what big of a role will alternatives play, or is it very hard to substitute and create alternatives with such things like lithium ion batteries and cobalt and other minerals? Yeah, you know, that, that's a, a, an interesting uh, point. I, I tell my sophomore class, we look at the periodic table of, of the elements, and I say, that's our palette, right? We're not going to get more choices than are on the periodic table. But over time, you can see the evolution and, and use of other elements in the periodic table. You know, the, the most recent one is the rare earths that actually aren't that rare, but uh, they, they are used in applications that weren't even envisioned 30 years ago. So, yeah, we are using alternatives, but we're also using new elements all the time as well. But we're limited. We're limited by that periodic table. So there are only so many alternatives available. I, I like that. The palette. That's what we're working with. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when we hear about supply chains, one of the things that comes up in, in the conversation is the idea of illicit supply chains. And so I'm wondering what role illicit supply chains will play when we start seeing an increasing demand for some of these different mineral resources across the world. Yeah, that that's a good question because um, I, I I deal a lot with illicit supply chains, not not so much on the minerals and metals yet, but more on uh, other valuable products that we can track and trace and authenticate. But I've I've started to try to couple my understanding of mineral processing with the illicit supply chains because. My hunch is that as these uh, metal values get more and more uh, in demand, 
that we will see that traffic into illicit supply chains, particularly in, in the area of what are called conflict minerals from areas of the world that are designated, uh, uh, that are uh, challenging for the, the local population because they're being exploited in the production of those minerals, but also because of the rich ore grades that exist there. And, and there's there's a lot of legislation trying to uh, stop that illicit, or I shouldn't say illicit, that exploitation of trade. But my hunch is it the the minerals and are are still coming out, and the only way they come out is through illicit means. Yeah, and I'm wondering, you know, there's a lot of conversation about ASM formalization, artisanal small scale mining, and just kind of what role that will play in the future of some of these things. I looked at the cobalt supply chain and there's been some research done to suggest that ASMs actually um, kind of help aid in some of the diversification. However, there's a lot of issues that come around ASMs and we talk about this illicit material. So I think you, you raise a really good point there and kind of what that future will bring. It's a lot of questions still. Um, I know that one of the things that I found very interested when we first talked uh, and, and, we, and I met you at this Missouri S&T conference was this LIBS research that you were doing, this laser-induced break breakdown spectroscopy. And this research was talking about illicit financing, maybe geo-fingerprinting you know, certain minerals and elements. And so I'm wondering if you could talk about what that is and kind of how that will impact the supply chain and how we understand maybe traceability. Yeah, and... and that laser-induced breakdown spectroscopy is a, is a fairly new technique. Maybe the last 10, 12 uh, years, it's really come uh, in, into play. And it is basically uh, allows you to uh, analyze the, the elements present. In our case, it's a mineral. And the, the nice thing, so it's a fingerprint, if you will, of, of the, the mineral or the the part you're analyzing. But the nice thing about LIBS is it's portable. And so there's been, uh, we've been researching it among others to use it as a track and trace technology. And I think there, there's been enough proof of concept to say you can do that. But I, I think the challenge then is whether you can track and trace beyond the mineral and follow that mineral to metal form. And that's really where our focus is today, is to being able to track and trace from the source, like you say, artisanal miners perhaps, to uh, an electronic part, all the way through that mineral to metal to product supply chain. Yeah, I think that's that's what's so fascinating when I started looking into supply chains and becoming interested in this topic is just how compl complex they are and how many different facets, you know, no pun intended there for the mineral folks, there are to this supply chain and trying to trace that across that is very, very difficult to do. But I think there's been a lot of, you know, a lot of interesting research in that for sure. Right. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about the South Dakota School of Mines and Technology and maybe some of the current projects or programs that our community would like to learn more about. Right, yeah, the, the, the South Dakota School of Mines and Technology has been around since 1885. And, and really that's when we were part of Dakota territory when there wasn't a South Dakota, North Dakota, but just Dakota territory. 
And the school started uh, because of the mining activity in the Black Hills, primarily gold mining activity. And so we're one of a handful of uh, Western uh, mining schools that are still around that still have uh, a focus on the mineral industries. And our particular program is in metallurgical engineering, which involves the, 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 the concentration extraction and then the other part of it, the alloy development, but very focused on, uh, on metals. And so we've carved out, I think, a very valuable and, and in this case, relevant niche, because as you noted, there, the minerals and metals for this green economy or green energy, the, the challenges are immense, you know, whether it's lithium, nickel, cobalt, the rare earths, um, it's going to be a, a real uh, challenge to meet the needs and demands. I guess from from a school perspective or the academic perspective, you know, what needs do you see? Is it is it job market training? Is it more research and development on this subject? Is it more education to the public or is it pretty much all of those things combined as far as meeting those needs for the future? You know, it's it's all of the above. We um, I think we we do a, a very good job of educating students, but Recruiting students is a challenge uh, just because when you say, well, I'm a metallurgical engineer, the average person doesn't know what that means. Right? So, and so we spend a lot of time uh, recruiting students in kind of different ways. And you know, even this, this podcast is a, a great way. Maybe there's a mother or father or a student that hears it and says, oh, now I know what metallurgical engineers do. So there's that piece of it, the recruiting piece. Um, and, and then I think just the education of the public is, is hugely important. You know, a, a, I think a lot of the public thinks you get a, a pound of steel, you go to Ace Hardware. That's where it comes from. But the reality is, no, it's, it's maybe it's been recycled and produced or it's been uh, produced from a mineral concentrate so that they, they really understand better that connection between minerals and metals, I think, educating the public. And then I, I think also educating the public that, at least domestically, when we mine, we do it responsibly. And that's why... You know, I, I really like going back and, and working on projects that reclaim these old tailings because that that allows us obviously to, to concentrate the minerals and then do the extraction, but it allows the companies to go back and reclaim those areas in modern ways that maybe 100, 200 years ago, we didn't have the technology to reclaim the way we do today. No, I, I agree. I think that the uh, the project of the Department of Energy for going back and looking at the rare earths and some of the coal tailings, that's a, it, I think one of the biggest values that that is people are very on board with the idea of reclaiming some of these coal deposits that, like you said, years and years ago, you didn't have the technology to do like you can to do that today and reclaim it. So, yeah, I think it's a lot a lot of opportunities there to go back and look at older deposits. And so one final question we normally ask this with all of our guests um, simply put, why do minerals matter in your perspective? Yeah, well, minerals matter because without them, we couldn't have this conversation. We couldn't drive in this morning. You know, it, when you start looking at uh, uh, 
mineral and metal products. They're all around us and they enable the, the quality of life that we enjoy. Um, you know, and it, an interesting aspect of that, I, I think as we look toward a future where petroleum refining decreases, that will have uh, a lot of impacts just simply because plastics won't be as inexpensive and prevalent as they are today. And so I'm thinking a lot about that. You know, how do we replace those materials? And the only real alternative are those derived from minerals and metals. So uh, the materials challenge, whether they're plastics, metals, ceramics, I, I think really will be quite critical to our future. No, well put, well put. Well, John, I, I thank you so much for engaging in this conversation with us and coming on the podcast. Um, until next time, I'm your host, Thomas Hill, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you, John. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.